0: Welcome welcome, and welcome again to Voices of Experience, broadcast again on KIXI AM 880 and uh, again simulcast on KKNW 1150 AM. My name is Paul Casey. Normally we would have Eric Crema in the studios, but he's having a good time in Las Vegas, I guess, gambling away. I hope he comes back with uh, his house and his money intact, but I think he's down there in business, isn't he, Eric?
1: Uh, the business of gambling, maybe. <laughs> I thought maybe there was
0: something to do with the radio station promotion, but
1: no. Okay. I don't know. I, I actually, I don't know. I, I think he's on vacation, but uh, I could be mistaken.
0: Okay. He'll well, set us
1: straight next week.
0: we has a good time, and he'll be back next week, but I'll be gone. Actually, I'm uh, headed to Spain tomorrow.
1: Oh, wow. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, take off, go to London, right on to Barcelona. My wife's over there now. She left on Sunday. Never been there, and um, now how it is, they call this the, what's a reticulator activating system that you start, you're going to do something you've never done, and you talk about it, and now everybody, what I'm submitting, has been to Spain. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked to, it just seems like so many people have been there.
1: I was just going to say, I work with another show host who just left for Portugal yesterday,
0: Uh so
1: there's something in the air There definitely
0: Uh, is, and- People are saying more than one. Well, Eric, you know, Krim, I don't know if he's been there or not. But Well, Las um,
1: Vegas is a Spanish name, so uh, I guess there's <laughs> <right>. something there. <laughs> I'm sure there is
0: some Spanish, you know, kind of exhibit <laughs> down there, too. Like you're in Spain. Right. That's what you can do. But uh, Neil Peterson has traveled the world, the guy who's been on the show Many times now, and we'll continue. And we've got to be. a clip
1: from him coming up as well on the show today.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, he's been there, and he, you know, basically has said Spain is his favorite country of all, and he's wow. been everywhere. So that's what I'm doing next week. I'll tr- maybe think about doing a report on the hotline if I see something different or unusual. I'll call in and maybe do something. Maybe not. If it's, send us some audio clips of
1: on. your, you know, your thoughts as you're walking around.
0: Sure. I will, I will uh, entertain doing that for sure. So, let's see. Let's get to today's show, The Present. Uh, our number one feature today is a man by the name of Kenny Curtis and his daughter, Julian Hughes. They wrote a book and do a podcast called Greeking Out, Epic Retelling of Classic Greek Myths. Now, what's interesting about this, it's directed to children. So I think that's kind of neat to uh, talk about Greek mythology to kids at that level. And this is courtesy of National Geographic. I get so many great guests from National Geographic. So they're coming up. And let's see, what else? We have um, A Richard Larson. Now, if you've lived in Seattle for maybe 40-plus years, you probably remembered remember this name. He was a Seattle Times columnist for 50 years, and uh, he devoted his career— in the cause of civility in American politics. And he passed away in 2001. I wonder what he would think today about the civility or, better put, lack of civility. It's mm-hmm. nothing then like it w- was then. And that's what's so, so concerning. It would be interesting to have a conversation. But the one I had was in 1998. And uh, we discussed things. And one thing I just want to add, he was a columnist covering Ted Bundy and the trial, and all things that went along with that, I mean, from the very beginning, starting in Lake Sammamish all the way to Florida, the very end. And he had a little bit of criticism because some of these people felt locally that he got too close to his subject at the time. You'll hear it in the interview coming up, and he we talk about that, and he talks about that as well. So anyhow, that's coming up from the late Richard Larson. I thought a flashback would be kind of interesting to have. Meandering Musings today with Neil Peterson. He's going to talk about Halloween. We talked about that a little bit. Voices of History, one of the biggest comedy shows, arguably the biggest in history, was launched today. That's all I'm going to go. The only hint I'm going to give, because I think if I go any further, I may give it away. I still see you, Eric, kind of going, let's see if... We may get it, or I—I think think I've got a
1: little list of the top comedy shows, to my mind, anyway. So we'll see if it's one of them. Okay, yeah,
0: sounds good enough. Timeless classics for today. This is a song which many believe, including me, to this day. Before I looked it up, was an anti-war song, but it was not, and uh, it was written by Stephen Stills. That would be coming on later. And uh, let's see what else. So let's just get on with the show. We'll be coming up uh, in just a few moments with Voices of History. So we'll find a lot of those questions out pretty quick.
2: Welcome to today's Voices of History.
0: 80% of New Orleans, including much of downtown, is underwater. The Big Easy's famous Canal Street, living up to its name.
2: Apparently, a plane has
3: crashed into the World Trade Center in New York.
0: I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did? I did. That was out of explosion? Yes, and that's you. the second explosion. Ah, Benny did a nice job put, pulling that together, didn't he? Absolutely. So, uh, Voices of History, let's start with um, October 9th, 1974. This is very timely, and that is German businessman Oskar Schindler credited with saving 1,200 Jews from the Holocaust, dies at the age of 66. He was a member of the Nazi party. He ran an enamel works factory in Poland, employing workers from the nearby Jewish ghetto. He persuaded Nazi officials to allow the transfer of his workers to a labor camp. This saved them from deportation to the death camps. He was buried in Israel at the Catholic cemetery in Mount Zion, and of course the movie Schindler's List came out in 1993, and uh, covered that whole episode, terrible in history, in the Holocaust, but uh, really woke up, and and, I say I didn't enjoy the movie, but it was incredibly informative, I didn't know anything about it, it makes me want to see that movie again. Liam Liam Nielsen, of course, played Schindler in that movie. So let's see. Today, on October 11, 1971, John Lennon's Imagine was released. John began writing the song while he was still with the Beatles. This I didn't know. The lyrics were heavily influenced by Lennon's wife, Yoko Ono. Hmm. On October 11, 2002, President Jimmy Carter wins the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to find peaceful solutions to international conflicts. And to advance democracy and human rights. One of his key achievements was mediating the peace talks between Israel and Egypt in 1978. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if he was still able to do that now? (laughs) Absolutely. Talk about timeliness on that. Look back at uh, President Carter, and certainly he's had such a resurgence of his presidency much more positive than people viewed it at the time. I remember thinking. He didn't deserve all the negative publicity he got. He was a different kind of guy, but he was very straightforward and a straight shooter. And I don't think people were very comfortable with that. And um, I don't know. That's just my take on
1: it. He's always worked for peace and to help people, um, even well beyond his uh, presidential term. That's so, right. Yeah. And I think actually that
0: really made his aura grow tremendously after that. Never gave up. And he still isn't. That's right. You know, what, he's been hospice now for yeah. eight months or a very long time. So we're thinking about you. October 11th, 1975. Okay, here is the comedy that came on, debuted again in 1975 on this day. Take a guess.
1: 1975. Okay, so that eliminates what my guesses were. And what was that? Uh, well, I was thinking Seinfeld it um, has got to be one of the biggest comedies of all time. <laughs> okay. I, uh, for 75, and I could be totally off here, I'm thinking maybe the Bob Newhart show?
0: Okay. Well, maybe I'm a little bit misleading here in terms of comedy, but Saturday Night Live.
1: Ah, uh, gotcha. When I say comedy longest, show, I could One of the, the longest running anyway, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, but it debuted, yes, uh, on NBC with Chevy Chase, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Hilda Radner, Garrett Morris, Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman. And it is still broadcast where it began, Studio 8-H in Rockefeller Center.
1: And they're just about to start their 49th season this Saturday.
0: Did not know that. Wow. So is that coming up, uh, you just said it, this Saturday. That's right. All right. Good. Good to hear. October 13, 2010, the last of 33 miners trapped nearly half a mile underground for more than two months at a caved-in mine in northern Chile, are rescued. The miners survived longer than anyone else trapped underground in recorded history. So there you go. That uh, is some history for this time period, um, this week rather, uh, in history and Voices of History.
2: You have been listening to Voices of History. If you have historical events that you would like to share, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
0: So let's quickly move into uh, Neil Peterson's meandering musings of Halloween. Today, you know, I just want to give a little introduction to Neil. I mean, he's mentioned earlier, has done so much travel in his life, but he's been to like Iceland, France. He's coming to uh, El Camino, Santiago, the pilgrimage. He's the one who told me that, again, Spain was his favorite place. I think that's where he hiked north of Spain a little bit there. Cuba, Italy, Morocco, Ransom, Missouri, Death Valley, Martha's Vineyard. I mean, those aren't the most exotic, but he's got a lot more, and he has um, something to talk about with each with a little bit different slant. But today, he's talking about Halloween. Let's get into it.
3: Halloween. Halloween is such a special day. It's become one of the most important special days of the year. Yet, it's not a holiday. I, for one, am in favor of making it a national holiday. You may ask why. Here are my reasons. Think about what Halloween does. It gives each one of us a chance to be someone or something different for one day of the year. This has to be good for our mental health. A little escapism, right? Think about what the day does for children. For weeks in advance, the young ones are trying to decide what they're going to be this Halloween. Then there is the process of getting the costumes and the makeup required. On Halloween night, nothing matches the pure joy of going house to house, dressed in their costumes, trick-or-treating. Think what the day does for families. It has father and or mother walking with the little ones as they go house to house. What a great time together one that is remembered for a long time. This applies even today, where in some neighborhoods, people, instead of walking, are driving their cars to local church parking lots where they're opening up their trunks so that children can do trunk-or-treating in a more safe environment. Think what the day means for candy producers in this country. This one day represents 10% of their annual sales. It's a big day. I was worried about whether we might have some supply chain shortages this year, but apparently that has not surfaced. Or if it did, I've not been made aware of it. I was particularly concerned about my favorite candy, Almond Joy, but more about that later. Think about what this day does for pumpkins and our appreciation of them. Holy cow, this day forces us to all realize the many ways that we can enjoy this wonderful plant. For decorations, for carving, for hollowing out, for eating. Pumpkins, to me, are the surest sign that we're in the autumn season. And don't you love their orange color? An interesting fact, pumpkins are actually a fruit. The reason being that, scientifically speaking, anything that starts from a flower is botanically a fruit. And think about the creativity this day stimulates as millions of homeowners decorate their homes to celebrate the day. I was recently in Sleepy Hollow, New York, and the decorations there are something to behold. Think about the fact that this day brings us all together. There is no far-right political view of Halloween. There is no far-left political view of Halloween. As far as I know, we can all agree that this day is a wonderful tradition that has no political connotations. And then think about the really interesting legends that surround Sleepy Hollow. As first described by Washington Irving some 203 years ago, I, for one, can't get enough of the Headless Horseman, Ichabod Crane, the Old Dutch Church, and the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, to name a few. My daughter, son-in-law, and their two children live in Sleepy Hollow, some 30 miles north of New York City. My granddaughter was recently baptized in the old Dutch church. Clearly, Sleepy Hollow has a special spot in my heart. Need I go on? I hope that you will agree that I have made the case for making Halloween a national holiday. Well, good luck with that, Neil. Gosh, a uh, national
0: holiday for Halloween. I never really thought about that. I'm for it. Okay, well, let's do it. Uh, that, again, was Neil Peterson. You can do two things. He uh, His podcast is up and running now, so I don't have the exclusive Neil Peterson just on my show. And all you need to do is, but Google Meandering Musings Podcasts? and you could probably find it?
1: Absolutely. Or just uh, you know pull up your uh, app, your podcast app, on your phone and put in meandering musings, and you'll come across it.
0: Great. And you said there's about nine on there now?
1: Uh, there's three episodes out now, and uh, new episodes start this Friday.
0: And they, they go out once a week? That's right. Okay. Good enough. Or if you want to read his uh, website, you can go to Neil's. That was the inspiration for now turning this into a podcast.
4: When you struggle with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you get used to not feeling 100%. I thought that was how it had to be. Until I discovered the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, they told me about new medications that weren't around back when I was diagnosed. They helped me find a specialist who gave me a new treatment plan. I'm feeling better than I ever thought I could. Don't settle for not feeling your best. Take action today to take care of yourself.
2: Spill Your Guts. Learn more at spillyourguts.org.
0: Welcome back to Voices of Experience. And my name is Paul Casey, along with Eric Ryder. We're bringing this show to you live from downtown Burbank. Nope, Factoria. (laughs) I just had a little... You're going, what? Where is this guy? (laughs) Anyhow, we are here live, and um, thank you very much for that again, Neil. We're back uh, here at Kixie and uh, KKNW AM. Feature today, our second one, there's a father-daughter team, Kenny Curtis and Julian Hughes. They wrote a book together and host a podcast, Greeking Out, Epic Retelling of Classic Greek Myths. And again, this is directed toward kids. Why do the both of you think that mythology is important for children?
4: Well, you know, I think that kids can relate to these stories universally, even if they don't understand how old they are or where they came from. These stories, you know, Greek mythology stories have been around for thousands of years, obviously, since ancient times. And, you know, there's uh, archetypes in these stories that have existed you know, up until and including contemporary media. So, you know, Darth Vader, Haiti. There's a tie. There's a similarity there. There's Wonder Woman, the Amazons. Literally, the Amazons were Athena. Things like that. So, there are a lot of uh, archetype characters in terms of heroes and things like that that I think kids can relate to when you go back to Greeking out. They don't necessarily have to understand that these were the OG heroes. They just sort of can understand the universal qualities to them. But I also think it's important because Greek gods were not the kind of deities that most of us think of when we think of God, particularly a kid. They might think of God as a benevolent, all-knowing, all-loving being that, you know, some of us worship. But uh, Greek gods were just like people. They were nasty, vengeful, sneaky, scared, insecure, and those were the good ones. You know, the bad ones were obviously
0: even worse. Julian?
2: yeah yeah i agree i mean these stories just they're mixed for a reason right they're timeless and they can really resonate kids in a different way and i think that that's why we why we would try to make both the podcast and the book you know humorous fun we love the drawings by javier Asia um because it's just really inviting for a kid audience and we want them to engage in these stories and and fall in love with the characters, and understand these lessons and morals that the myths have. And we just think it's really important that we remember uh, these stories and and these lessons.
0: You have a book and a podcast. Which came first, and how do they relate to each other?
2: The podcast came
4: first, and the podcast actually comes from a book, which is kind of weird. But uh, Nat Geo Kids has a series called Zeus the Mighty. It's a book series written by Kristen Boyer, who's a great kids' author, And it's about uh, animals in a pet shop in Georgia. I think it's Olympia, Georgia, the Mount Olympus Pet Shop. And they think, these animals think they are the Greek gods because the owner of the pet shop listens to a podcast called Greeking Out. Well, we were working with uh, the folks from Nat Geo Kids on the radio version of their Weird But True book series at SiriusXM. I I still uh, host a show on their kids' channel. You know, fast forward nine seasons, the podcast has taken on a life of its own, top ten podcast in the kids realm it's doing really well and all of a sudden we decide we want to do a book series
0: Before um, we go on can you let us know how we would access your podcast?
4: You can get the Greeking Out podcast, not Geo Kids Greeking Out is the the full name of the podcast but if you search Greeking Out it usually comes up and you can get it wherever you get your favorite flavor of podcast
0: Okay, how about the book now?
2: Yeah, the book came out yesterday actually so it's available um, anywhere books are sold Uh, you can get it Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or, you know, your local bookstore.
0: And uh, you, Julian, are a writer by trade. And uh, how did you and your dad come together and uh, do this uh, project?
2: Well, when Kenny, Kenny was first contacted to help create the podcast, the Greeking Out podcast. And around the same time, I had taken some time off from my uh, corporate marketing gig, had some small kids at home, and um, he needed help, you know, writing these scripts. And I like to say I'm uniquely qualified for this job because I've been listening to Kenny talk my entire life since he is my, my dear old dad. So, um, doing it that, or getting the opportunity to write the scripts for him, um, came really naturally to me and it's just been a fun process ever since.
0: So you enjoy writing and that's where you got your start and you two collaborated together. So what do you hope that kids will take away from this? I find that it's pretty incredible how National Geographic has reached out to so many kids. Why do you think that is in terms of National Geographic's interest and your interest as well?
4: Well, I think Nat Geo is uniquely qualified to help a a, a mythology book like this because of exactly what you said. They have so many resources. They have so many experts on staff, and they're used to dealing with a broad base of information. So when you read the book, in the margins, there's all sorts of fast facts, there's uh, uh, interstitial segments that are talking about like the the food the Greeks eat and and where we get the gymnasium and Olympic events and all sorts of uh, detail in the glossary that includes the correct pronunciations of all the names that I'm still getting wrong by the way so I think that that's what makes this particular iteration of Greek myths for kids so important and so impactful is that we have that resource behind us that's actually how we came up with the concept for the Oracle of Wi-Fi, who is sort of the co-host in the podcast and has a strong presence in the book, because they wanted to have an audio version of the margin facts that are so popular in the Nat Geo books. And Jillian sort of took that concept and ran with it and created a character that is probably the most popular thing with kids in the podcast. If you you look at the Apple comments, they love the Oracle of Wi-Fi. She's great.
2: I think the non fiction side of it is really important and really something that only National Geographic kids could do.
0: You mentioned something earlier, both of you, about um, you know the Greek gods and the mythology. Is there like a superhero or a villain that you observe that's famous now by a movie, not necessarily National Geographic per se. That kind of came from a Greek god. I found that interesting. You alluded to that earlier, that a lot of maybe of the heroes and villains that we watch and observe today have come from that.
4: I'm going to say Indiana Jones and Odysseus. If you look at Indiana Jones, this character, here's a guy that isn't the, t- I mean, he's tough, obviously, but he's not, uh, you know, there's, you can make the obvious parallel of, of Hercules or Heracles as Superman, this sort of invincible strong guy, but I think Odysseus, or Ulysses, if you want to use the Roman version, was probably one of the most, if not the most popular Greek hero to the Greeks because they prized cleverness above everything else. And Odysseus was nothing if not clever. But he was also resilient. And that's what Indiana Jones is like, right? He gets gets punched, he gets beat up, he gets knocked down, but he's somehow scrappy enough to find his way using his intelligence and his wit to get through problems. And that's exactly what Odysseus did, trying to get back home from the Trojan War. It was one thing after another, after another. And anybody who's ever watched an Indiana Jones movie, you know, I mean, there's a ball rolling at you, there's an avalanche, there's Nazis chasing you, there's tanks blowing up. It's always one thing after another for him. And I think Odysseus was the, was the OG Indiana Jones, if you will, because he always had one problem after another that he had to use his brains and his skill to get through.
0: So the bottom line is, what would you hope that kids would get from your podcast and book in terms of going forward in life?
2: You know, more than anything else, uh, we believe that myths and mythology, it's all about storytelling at the end of the day. You know, these stories have been told for so long, for hundreds of thousands of years. They've been passed down um, from generation to generation. And, uh, when we got our hands on these myths, we sort of took our own creative liberties, made them our own, made them fun, funny, um, put our own unique spin on it. And then like when our illustrator got a hold of the manuscript, he had his own vision of what these characters would look like and made them his own. So we hope that the readers of this book will fall in love with these characters, see how they're relevant to their own, their own lives and see how they can incorporate some of them in their own stories. And we just hope the uh, art of storytelling and using your imagination. We just want to inspire kids to create and to interact with these stories in their their current lives today.
0: So there you have it. That's uh, Ken Curtis and Julian Hughes. And again, the um, book is Greeking Out: Epic Retailing, Retelling, not Retailing. Paul of classic Greek myths, and uh, you can just Google. Greeking out epic retelling of classic Greek myths or just Greeking out and you're good. I had a segment on my radio show twenty five years ago called Profiles of Experience. It aired on Kixie. I was then as I am now, drawn to people with experience in or retired from their professions. On a side note, I generally get better interviews from people who have retired. Generally, they are not so guarded or cautious. What do they have to lose? I also still find that people who are no longer in the limelight appreciate being asked to express their views on contemporary problems. I think it's a shame that people who have attained so much wisdom and experience in life are sidelined because their hair is turning gray. That's an unfortunate consequence of a culture that is dominated by youth. I believe the following interview from 25 years ago will drive this point home. If you have been living in the Seattle area since, let's say, at least the 1980s or before, you probably remember the name of Seattle Times columnist Richard Larson. He was a well-known journalist who was also known for his fairness. His most controversial story, and the one we talk about in this interview, is his coverage of Ted Bundy. He admits in the interview that this was his biggest series of stories of his career. He covered the arrest, escapes, and the trial of Ted Bundy. Some people thought at the time that he may have come to the defense of Ted Bundy too often. And we talk about this in the interview. So let's get to it. Richard Larson, a true profile of experience. Mr. Larson, how did you get into the newspaper business?
5: Well, I think rather than my getting into it, I think it sort of enveloped me over the years. When I was a kid in grade school, a um, teacher had me write a piece that uh, appeared in the school paper, and it was pretty heady to see her own stuff in print. <laughs> and uh, then later at uh, high school, and then later uh, when I was in the Army, it just happened that I was working on a newspaper. and. Uh, so eventually, when I was in college, after playing around with two or three other majors, journalism kept bugging me. Well, then I became a major. And uh, no regrets. The, it, the thrill, I, what I think, was uh, being involved in something that's really happening that's important. That's pretty exciting stuff, and be the first
0: to know. What do you consider your biggest story?
5: Well, I suppose the consensus on that one would be the coincidental uh, story I That also sort of pursued me. In 1972, during uh, covering the governor's race of Dan Evans that year, I became acquainted with a nice young man named Ted Bundy who was working in the Evans campaign. I wrote about Ted eventually, did a column, and he came into the Times, and we took his picture. It was newsworthy because uh, there was some evidence or some allegations, I think, from the Democrats at that time that, Ted had behaved as a spy for the Evans uh, camp, and uh, I knew otherwise, and so wrote a piece. Anyway, that developed a relationship, and then, of course, as you know, the rest is history. A couple of years later, Ted emerges as a suspect, and all these murders that were or disappearing girls that were going on. So I became the Bundy specialist and uh, covered Ted for the ensuing years. spent a lot of time with him in jails, And 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 also down on his execution, ultimately,
0: in Stark, Florida.
5: So that was probably the big one.
0: Now that you're away from that for a while, do you have any different thoughts than when you were going through it?
5: No, I I feel pretty comfortable with it all. Um, One of the things that I did and I tried very hard, worked very hard at for all the years, is to maintain an objectivity about the case and to assume innocence during those years when everybody was uh, leaping to the conclusion that Ted was guilty. There was certainly some evidence, but I sort of held my uh, judgment and wrote in a very restrained way about the approaching uh, trials. To the extent that I was accused of um, being a sharp public relations person, I refused to accept his guilt before a jury delivered that guilt. That was one of the most important and demanding elements of that story. Other areas, of course, my specialty was writing politics for the Seattle Times for um, so many years, a couple of decades more. And some of the work that I did there is actually more rewarding. I remember starting in 1983 and 84 discussing and writing about uh, higher education in the state of Washington. Our higher education institutions and structure was in terrible decline at that point. And, uh, I sort of wrote for years about the need to have a vibrant higher education system in the state to produce the kind of trained workforce that's necessary to create a vital economy. And I think there was a lot of payoff for that. It, I raised or helped raise that issue in a priority, a political priority in Olympia.
0: Mr. Larson, what do you think about the general media coverage today? Oh, gosh, it's just a dramatic change.
5: I've watched the revolution. First appearance of television as a conveyor of news and information, you know, the Edward R. Murrow days and all that. And uh, today now, we uh, we in the newspaper business sort of dismiss TV as, uh, as kind of an entertainment novelty, not a very significant factor in news today the surveys indicate that most americans get the majority of their news information from television and so um, <clears throat> for the newspapers it's it's a very very tough challenge we have mixed i have mixed feelings about it i i know there are some doggone good reporters working today and some darn good editors that care a great deal others i think are more caught up in trying to compete with television and and turn out stuff that's entertainment and amusement as opposed to hard news. I miss depth coverage of some of the political issues that uh, I know are out there, (laughs) but I don't see getting covered.
0: Are you generally optimistic about the future of the Puget Sound region and the country?
5: Oh, I'm high, high, high. I'm very bullish on the Puget Sound country for for a couple of reasons. We're positioned so well economically for uh, international trade. We happen to have lucked into being a magnificent place for the whole technology sector, and in some ways, I think Boeing fits into the technology world as so. So, I think we have the possibilities of um, even greater growth and dominance in the future, and simultaneously, we have a culture here of preserving this beautiful environment. Um, I just finished um, not long ago an interview or series of interviews with. uh, uh, 55 or 60 CEOs of top businesses on the east side. And unanimously, they were determined. Uh, they told me that uh, they wanted to give high priority to keeping the environment and quality of life we have. So I think we can have it both ways if we do it well. Uh, I think there's a commitment there to have both economic growth, jobs, good future, and at the same time preserving quality of our environment
0: and you're optimistic we'll be able to do that
5: if anybody in the world can do it we can do it here in Puget Sound
0: that's former Seattle Times columnist Richard Larson who passed away in 2001 I like how he said at the beginning of the interview how journalism found him when I did the interview in the late 1990s Facebook and all the other social media outlets didn't exist He was already lamenting the fact that we were losing in-depth coverage in the media. I wonder what he would think today. Now back to the remarks about his coverage of Ted Bundy. I believe Richard Larson when he said that he felt at the time that there was a rush to judgment regarding Ted Bundy's guilt. You heard him say that he felt it was important to present the other point of view. On a personal note, I have known a few people who were close to Ted Bundy. They were all taken in by his powers. I don't think I have read about or observed another person in my life who has more persuasive powers than Ted Bundy did. I will close by saying that if a journalist of the caliber of Richard Larson was taken in under the spell of Ted Bundy, that shows how very dangerous he was. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. And again, that was uh, Richard Larson from uh, uh, the late 1990s. I'm going to say around 1998. And what a special man that was. And he was at the time. And I think a lot of people hold him in very high esteem, like I certainly do. So let's move on to something else now. The Donico Pet Clinic. If you've never heard of that, it is a clinic that's around and it's been around for over 35 years. It was started by a Stan Co uh, and his partner Donny again, and they saw homelessness in Seattle then. it did exist, not to the extent it does now, but there was homelessness. and they started a clinic that would help the pets of homeless people. and it's been around again for 35 plus years and it's been going uh, every week since that time through snowstorms. I think there's only one or two weekends, I think it was nine eleven that it did not function. So the point is, this does provide health care and pet care for dogs, cats, for the low income, and again, homelessness. Since 2020, almost 2,000 pets have been served just since before COVID. Now, just coming uh, full circle here and uh, just letting you know, my wife is the president of the Donico Pet Clinic, and she's been in that position for five years. And there's a couple things that they are looking for a new space. And uh, because they've had to move around, they're right now in White Center, they've been downtown, the building was condemned that they were in for a year or so. So they've had some uh, difficulties. So they're asking anybody out there who may know of a building somewhere that's empty or or could use some tenants, Um, they're looking for 1,500 to 2,500 square feet. And again, the clinics are every Saturday, and they're looking at any place between Soto, south of Seattle, downtown, up to the university district. So if you know of that possibility whatsoever, I'm just going to give my hotline phone number out and you can call and just leave a message and we'll get back to you. And that number is 425-653-1166, 425-653-1166. And again, I'm going to also, in addition to that, just make a little pitch for helping this uh, organization out in terms of finances. If you are so inclined to maybe make a donation, you can, um, I would suggest this, Googling D O N E D-O-N-E- C-O-E, D-O-N-E dash C-O-E. Read for yourself about what this organization is about, what they do, and uh, if you have any questions, you can call that Voices of Experience hotline, 425-653-1166, and I'll have my wife, Marty, get back to you. How would that be? So special pitch for that organization, and I just know the good that it's doing you know, really for the pets. I mean, not only the homeless people, what you do see, they take care of their pets better than they do themselves. One other thing, there's been a block because people say, well, homelessness people shouldn't have pets. Well, that's debatable. But one of the things is that, you know, certainly they're in a different place now. And one of the things that Doni Co. insists on that if they're going to treat a pet, that they will have that, require that pet to get spayed and neutered. So it will not keep putting litters of puppies or cats out there because that happens too often. So it's kind of one that helps restrict the number of pets that are there. One more time, Google Doni-Co, Doney-CoE, and then phone number to call if you have any questions, 425-653-1166. Thank you very much for listening to that pitch. We're going to be back, uh, Another little bit of experiment coming up here. Why not? On October 4th, 1957, the American space program began. That's the day the Soviet Union launched a rocket into space called Sputnik. For 21 nights, the Sputnik satellite was visible to millions of people as it circled the globe. The exultation quickly turned into anxiety. If this rocket could carry a satellite, could it also carry nuclear weapons? Welcome to the arms race and space race. The U.S. immediately created NASA. Over 400,000 individuals and 20,000 American companies participated in the space program, contributing immensely to our high standard of living that we enjoy today. I'm Paul Casey with this edition of Time Traveler from VoicesOfExperience.com. So, I am experimenting with some short vignettes like that, and that's an example of uh, one Sputnik program. Again, you listen to this show, you know I enjoy history. And those are little vignettes I'm looking at playing in various venues, not just on this show. And I wanted to get an idea from the audience today, if you're so inclined. Let me know how you feel about these. Would you listen to these? Do you find them interesting? I'm going to play a couple more and then um, just get your ideas on that. But that's the same hotline that you can call, 425 653 and you just say, wow, that is interesting. I'd like to hear more of these, or I guess uh, you'll vote with your voice. If I don't hear from you, that'll t- tell me something as well. But I'm just trying to do a little survey here. It's unscientific, but who cares? Let's see, we'll see if we can uh, get anything going. So here is the second one, and this is on air travel. What was air travel like during the so-called Golden Age? In 1955, passenger airplanes were powered by propellers. Jets were still a few years away. Travel by air was accessible, but only to the privileged few. There was plenty of leg room, and not just in first class. The bubbly flowed, cigarettes lit up, all followed by an elegant meal served by female stewardesses. Men need not apply. Fast forward to today. Yes, passengers can be packed in like sardines, but it's faster, more affordable, and much safer than even walking. I'm Paul Casey with this edition of Time Traveler from VoicesOfExperience.com. All right, that's the second one.
1: Yeah. Did, did you fly at all during the Golden Age, by the way, of, of what is considered the Golden Age? Right. That
0: would be <laughs> my first plane ride was on a propeller plane, prop plane, Uh from L.A. to New York. I barely remember it. I was maybe five years old, but I do remember it, getting on, walking up this red carpet and walking upstairs and also getting into the cockpit. Wow. For some reason, I don't remember how, came back, hey, kids, you want to get in the cockpit? And they remember the door going in. And I don't know if I was sitting on the pilot's lap or somebody, but we were in the cockpit. I do remember that flash. So, yes, I do but not well at all.
1: Yeah, I I got to say, it's changed so much uh, since I've been flying uh, When my first flight when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, I, it just continues to evolve. And not always for the better, but uh, as you say, it's way more affordable now. So Well, and one of the things, Interesting.
0: Warren G. Magnuson, the U.S. senator from Washington State forever, I think he was elected in 62 and served till 1980. That's right. He was... Uh, defeated in 1980, and Slade Gordon became U.S. Senator. Very powerful senator. He was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Appropriations Committee, wielded a lot of power. I just said that. But nonetheless, he also was instrumental in deregulating the airlines. Mm -hmm. And it was so expensive because there was probably five or six airlines that dominated everything then. But after deregulation, what, we probably got 50 of them now, and the cost for flying... Just hit went down considerably, right, and so um that's a lot of the what occurred, a lot of growing pains, of course, but yeah, there's pros and cons to it, but certainly uh much you know more people have millions have been able to fly <laughs> because a result of that,
1: yeah, now I remember um my first flight was uh I believe from Reno to uh Kansas City, and I remember. Um, even as a kid, you know, we got a steak dinner uh, and it came with a bottle of wine with, that my mom took, of course. <laughs> I'm glad you
0: clarified that, Eric. Yes. This?
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, But yeah. And then it was just like. Uh, you know, now it's like, Oh, okay, so you get some pretzel bites. So it's a it's a whole different thing. Oh but, yeah, or uh,
0: sometimes you just get in and they don't have any food at all. Oh, sorry, right. we don't this is not serving food. But yeah,
1: you can order it ahead of time on the app. It's a right. It's a different animal for sure. And sure. um yeah. I, I the one thing I, I would just love is to be able to keep my shoes on going through security at this point. I feel like that would be like a well, major if, victory. If you, get, you know? if you
0: get TSA and clear, you can.
1: Yeah, well there you go.
0: So, yeah, I I have TSA in clear. And when you – not all our ports do it, but more and more are getting clear. Um,
1: I right? just feel like that body scan thing should take – you know, should look at our shoes.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> Even with
1: us wearing them, it should be okay.
0: Well, that happened with that guy who tried to light his shoes on yep. fire going yep. over the Atlantic or something. No, there were, there was a, 20-something years ago.
1: A good reason for them to screen that, but – no, I know what
0: you mean, though. But I was just trying to think, where did that come from? But that was it, yeah, I believe.
1: The shoe bomber.
0: The shoe bomber. Thank yep. you. That's right. That's all of a sudden it's like you know. You imagine that it's like, well, we can get on. We're going straying a bit, but that's okay. You know, you look at the, uh, you know, medicine and all that with you know the covers on them now and opening up impossible because of the Tylenol thing that happened about thirty years ago too. I and mean, before then, they didn't have all that packaging now. But yeah. then after that, there you go. So, there
6: you
1: go. All
0: right, do we have time to play one more? Or what we do you do? Think? Yeah, we do. We Let's have... do Betty White, and uh, this is another little one of these uh, vignettes, and we'll see what people think. Betty White has the longest career in television than any entertainer in history, over eighty years and counting. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Betty White is most remembered for her roles in The Mary Tyler Moore Show and Golden Girls, spanning the late 70s into the early 90s. In 1954, she produced The Betty White Show, but the show faced criticism because it featured Arthur Duncan, an African-American performer as a regular cast member. Southern stations threatened to boycott the show unless Mr. Duncan was taken off the air. Betty White's response? I'm sorry. Live with it and probably increased Mr. Duncan's role on the show. I'm Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and listen to more episodes of Time Travel. So there you go.
1: She was a national treasure. Sure Sure was.
0: That's right. And I think I mentioned to you I wrote that or produced that before she passed away. And it was not too much longer. It was like within weeks that I did that and she passed away. Anyhow, so there you have it. 425-653-1166. 425-653-1166. Just give an idea of, do you like those? Would you like to hear more of those? Again, 425-653-1166. I think we are kind of running out of time, don't you think? Because we have the uh, Timeless Classic coming up in a few moments.
1: We we actually have about four minutes.
0: Well, that's good. So um, what can we do in the last four minutes? Just say that, um, you know, it's a very special uh week coming up. And we were talking a little bit about the conflict in the Middle East. And of course, we all hope that they'll find some resolution there. I'm not optimistic about that. I think it's going to be a little drawn out and unfortunately tragic. It's just tragic. That's all I can say. What else can I I always reluctant sometimes to bring that things up because we're inundated with it all day. But you can simply say, how sad, I mean, for the world, for them and Everybody involved—it's just terrible, no doubt. So, um, I do you guess... want to
1: remind people um, if they have uh, some help for Donny Co? Uh, the best way to uh, get in touch.
0: Yeah, I would say that I've given that number out a thousand times, but there's two ways to do it. One would be to go to just Google DoniCo, Co, D O N E Y dash Co C O E, and um, find out about them on your own not just listening to me. They have a really good website that you can really get good information from that. You can decide for yourself what you want to do. And again, that's donee-co, D-O-N-E-dash-co. So what else do we have? That's about it, huh?
1: Yeah. yeah, All right. So uh,
0: any comments will you hear about today? I've given that number out enough. You either got it or you don't. Let us know what you think. Next week, we have Anand Varma, and he has this incredibly colored book. I got this one in advance. And it's full of these photos that are amazing. And uh, it's called Invisible Wonders. I mean, he goes into, like, for example, you look at a bee and you're looking right in its eye. Or you're seeing motions of tiny bugs and that you never visibly see. So he's on next week, Mirandering, Meandering Musings with Neil Peterson. Now. Here it is. He's going to be talking about peaches. And it'll be interesting. I guarantee it. Now, one more thing. uh, If you'd like to get a copy of my book, Is Self-Employment for You? Hear it again. That number, 425-653-1166. It talks about going into business for yourself and is self-employment for you. My goal is if you read the book, you'll make that determination, either going into business or not? 425-653-1166. So that's about it now. Quote of the week. A ship is safe in the harbor, but that is not what ships are made for. William Shedd. This week's Timeless Classic coming up next. You'll hear the entire song on Kixie, some of it on KKNW, but you won't be able to hear the Timeless Classic on my podcast because of licensing issues. Have a great rest of the week. This week's timeless classic was, and is still considered by many, to be an anti-war song. However, the song was inspired because of a curfew that was imposed in November of 1966. Clashes took place between the police and young people on Sunset Strip. Local residents and businesses had become annoyed by how crowds of young people going to music venues had caused the late-night traffic congestion and noise. In response, L.A. County passed an ordinance that enforced a strict curfew after 10 p.m. Music fans felt the laws infringed upon their civil rights. From December of 1966, written by Stephen Stills, then with the Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth.